Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the program that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan, and today we're talking about how schools teach the skills of well-being and resilience. We know that the school culture is important, and so is the way that teachers are with students. The quality of those relationships is vital for effective learning and well-being. But when you've got all of that sorted, or to help you get that sorted, it's also helpful to have validated practical ways to teach students about well-being. My guest today is Gillian Copley-Darwish, who is responsible for doing just that. Gillian is President and CEO of Mayerson Academy, which for over 20 years has helped educators learn how to develop positive learning cultures and environments. Mayerson's Thriving Learning Communities program helps students to learn to develop self-awareness, self-management and social awareness, relationship building and responsible decision-making skills. And most importantly, Thriving Learning Communities works by helping educators to focus on what's strong and not what's wrong in their students. It's this strengths-based approach that has teachers from a wide range of backgrounds finding this work engaging and exciting. Thriving Learning Communities is a research-based approach to improving students' social and emotional competencies by revealing and catalyzing individual character strengths. Gillian is talking to us from Cincinnati, Ohio, where there is a huge storm raging outside. So apologies in advance for the rumbles of thunder and some alarms beeping. Kia ora, Gillian. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. We're delighted to have you with us. Kia ora. I'm so happy to be here. Gillian, let's begin by giving us your rationale for why should we be teaching social and emotional skills at school? Beyond what any educators you know, um, I guess I would say just automatic understanding of the importance of having, you know, students understand these things. There's an incredibly robust extent research base that gives us all the reason we need to pursue SEL in schools. Um, We know that it has to be high quality programming, that it can't just be anything attending to the very specific nature of social emotional competency development, but we know when we do that uh, with excellence, Uh, The research of Weisberg and his associates and a meta-analysis of more than 200,000 kids um, tells us that attitudes can be changed, um, behavior can be changed, and that learning outcomes can be dramatically impacted. And you were saying you had a figure for um, the percentage increase in learning outcomes. Exactly. So in this meta-analysis, again, 200,000 kids involved, that the, the... Research suggests from Weisberg and his colleagues that the impact is 12 percentile points on average. That's huge. It's huge. I mean, really rarely would an intervention in education see those kinds of gains. And I think it's important that it's not just the academic gains, but it's these other things too, that the cultures of classrooms are changing, that uh, behavior is changing. And, you know, I think what is so inspiring to me is that This can all happen at once, right? It's not an isolated thing to just um, put on the blinders and only think about academics. 
And the other thing that I, I see in the research, which is so incredibly um, hopeful and inspiring to me, is that these um, this, these impacts are persistent, right? So it's not just that we see a change and it goes away, but in fact, there's research done associating social emotional development even at the preschool level, um, and the dramatic impacts that that has even at uh, the young adult age. And I think the research was looking at 25 year olds and uh, the likelihood to which they had completed college, the likelihood to which they were in stable relationships, the likelihood to which that um, they had a, uh, a career that they were engaged in. So we know that these things, they matter um, in significant ways in the immediate, and they are persistent and long-term. I think really what we're talking about here is that these kind of infer, in, uh, interventions create trajectory change in a child's Absolutely. life. Absolutely. 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 And it's, you know, it's something where, um, you know, we certainly are looking at the individual student, but if we can craft um, cultures and classrooms that continue to reinforce these ideas, it just becomes an upward spiral. Yeah. So one of the things that we're um, that, that we're very keen on down here in Australia and New Zealand is is thinking about whole school well-being, where we're aware of um, the role that the environment and the culture plays, and the role of teacher behaviour, and the role of, if you like, implicit teaching rather than just explicit teaching. So, um, remind us why we still need. Um, programs and curricula instead of just telling teachers to model the behavior or the school putting it in whole school activities? <laughs> yeah, it's such a good question because, I, again, I tell you, when I, when I speak to educators, it so resonates this idea of, you know, our particular stance on developing social-emotional learning is through the lens of character strengths, and it's through a decidedly appreciative approach versus a deficit approach. And when we speak to educators about this, they instantly get it. They say, yes, this is what I want for kids. And it's because it's why they went into the profession, right? They want to see the best and develop students into their best possible selves. But at the same time, they've got five academic subjects to cover, maybe more than 100 students they're seeing. And it's one more thing to think about. And not that they're not fully capable, don't actually know some of these things to do and strategies to utilize. Um, we help them with that in terms of saying, here's some ideas. And the, the other thing that's so important is that, you know, when I talked about the, the outcomes that can be realized with these programs, it is the high-quality programs, meaning that they're well-sequenced, they're they have active learners, and you know, they're activating learners, they're focused. Um, these are really important things. So the way we've designed the work is along those um, guidelines of high-quality programming. Um, so that's incredibly important for realizing the most in terms of impact and outcomes. And I think, I think that's really encouraging for teachers because one of the things we see all the time is, is teachers saying, um, I want to do this work and I want to do it well, but I'm not an expert in it. The teacher, the teacher has their own area of classroom expertise and they know their students. And if somebody can say, actually, we've gone and done all the research and right. this sequencing and staging of a program is really effective. I think most teachers are, are reassured by that and, and, and keen to take that on board. Yeah, yeah I mean, we definitely find that. And I, I think the other thing that's so important about using um, a reference point using a program of sorts is that you don't want to stop there for sure and we can talk about more about that but 
um, it gives you a sound research base from which to talk to people, to parents, to community members, and to others when they say, so what exactly is this you're doing? Um, and, you know, in our work, the way we set every activity up is to talk about the research behind um, the effort and why, you know, we're suggesting what we're suggesting. Let's come on and start to talk a little bit about Thriving Learning Communities. Tell us a bit about the program. So Thriving Learning Communities has been around for four years now. Uh, we started with a small pilot of uh, five schools. Uh, we are now, this year we'll be at 80 schools uh, across the U.S. and also in um, China. So we're, we're thrilled uh, with that expansion and growth in the short amount of time that we've been at it, relatively speaking. Um, the program is an appreciative program, as I've mentioned. Uh, we use science of character strengths to really develop social-emotional learning competencies uh, in students. Uh, the program begins at kindergarten and runs all the way through um, eighth grade, and we have uh, high school in development. We'll have that by the end of this calendar year. Um, and the work is um, a curriculum, a set of tools, resources. We bring um, what we call champion teams into um, a, a cohort. And um, so three to five members of any school will come together with other schools in an institute. And um, they will develop their own capacity to go back and lead this change in the schools. We are, are fervent believers in the idea that change comes within and they certainly know their context and their capacity uh, much better than we ever will. Um, and so we quickly develop their capacity to do this work with that institute and then have ongoing support coaching webinars throughout the year to, to continue to help them maintain the fidelity of the program. Okay, so, so if, I'm, um, if I'm a teacher and my school is interested, me and a couple of colleagues get sent to work with you in a... Hope, and, and I'm guessing pretty exciting dynamic institute. Yes. Um, and then, so there's, it's probably, it's pretty intensive. We learn about the program. We get familiar with the materials. Um, we learn about the, the, the underlying principles and how we should be using them. Right. And, then, and then we go back in to, to do that with our colleagues, yeah? Absolutely. Before folks leave, though, we make sure that we work with every individual team to create a plan for taking the work back. So they're not leaving the Institute and then thinking, oh, gosh, we have to find time now to plan what it is we're doing. Uh, we make sure that that's baked in while we're there with folks and can kind of, you know, be um, uh, really guides in terms of what we've learned and what we understand as best practices where um, kind of um, hidden opportunities as well as challenges might reside as they're developing their plans. So you've told us that Thriving Learning Communities works for kindergarten through to year eight and that a high school program is in development. Can you walk me a little bit through the curriculum for even for one year group? So if I was a year four or whatever, whatever group you want to give us an example of, what would I get and what would I do in the classroom? Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, the curriculum is set up, so as I mentioned before, that research is essential to the work and having um, the educators who are practicing this uh, thriving learning communities understand that and have it at their ready when they need it. So the, the units always begin with a background of the research and what, what it's about. Um, then we talk through learning targets, 
and professional practice tips for this particular content. So it's, it, the structure is units and modules. The units are around the five social-emotional learning competencies. So we begin with self-awareness in each grade level. And um, beginning with self-awareness, then the modules are broken up to address different aspects of social awareness. And inside each one of those modules will be addressing very particular character strengths as well. So, you know, again, this is so important to us in the sense that we could approach SEL as yet one more deficit-based practice, as some have even done with character strengths. It's the notion of, you know, this is the thing we want you to have, you clearly don't have it, let's develop it in you. Um, but, of course, our approach to character strengths is that, of course, you do have these. We all have these 24 character strengths that make us um, unique um, in the way that we order those strengths um, and applying the best of what's in ourselves to develop these um, social-emotional competencies. So what that looks like is we might have, in terms of developing um, self-awareness, um, developing the character strength of kindness, and, you know, what a gift that is for most people to think about self-awareness through the lens of the, the character strength of kindness. Or we also talk about hope as a possibility for utilizing that character strength to develop self-awareness. So what is it you hope for yourself? Are you watching your hopeful language? Do you know that you're looking at things half full or half empty uh, when it comes to your day, your surrounds, yourself? Um, so that's a, a quick example. The other elements of the curriculum of course, our additional resources and additional ideas that we suggest you might bring into the actual lessons themselves. Um, and then, of course, the connection home. So the letters and supplements that might go home uh, to a family or parent to help them understand what's going on in the classroom. Um, in terms of the actual lessons, then, they are arranged um, anywhere from five minutes to 30 minutes. So the content itself is quite deep, but it's also very flexible in the sense of being able to adapt to whatever the classroom might need. I have a copy of the Thriving Learning Communities curriculum in front of me, and I'm struck by how beautiful it looks. Do all your materials look this good? We are um, big believers in the aesthetics of things for um, teachers and for students alike. So we give great attention to what goes into the classroom in the way of supportive materials and um, environmental reinforcement. And also um, strong believers in the fact that teachers don't need products that look like they were made for children. They need products that look like they were made for adults when they're there for their use. And so we've tried to make them as streamlined and easy to use, but also with an attention to what we think might be visually appealing. Remind us of the four key competencies that you're developing. Yeah, so we look at, um, these are actually the competencies that have been identified by CASEL here in the U.S., which is the leading voice and authority of social-emotional learning and research uh, here. And they have identified the five competencies as self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationships, and decision-making. And so instead of taking decision-making as um, one separate element, we weave that through all of the, the units, if you will, the other four units. I'm looking at pre-K to two, and I love the idea of we're talking about unit one is growing self-awareness, and there's modules of planting self-awareness, nurturing self-awareness, cultivating it, and harvesting it. And they're lovely, they're lovely metaphors. So you presumably have worked for a long time on this curriculum with 
experts in the field. Tell us a bit about the development of it. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I will say um, it's never finished. <laughs> it's finished for the moment. Uh, we've already been through, as you could imagine, um, I think maybe two versions because we see another way to do a piece or a part um, that we think will just um, make things easier to understand or easier to apply or what have you. Um, so our development process was to bring in both psychologists as well as educators, um, practitioners, as well as academics who could either um, give us inspiration or who could be masterful editors and um, could help us make sure that we were grounding the work in the science, but that it was eminently practical for implication and application in schools. If I were a teacher, I could sit down and go, okay, here's an overview. I can understand why I'm doing it. And then I can look at the module. I can see that it's going to take two weeks. I can see what my learning targets are, what concepts we're doing, what strengths we're, doing, we're, we're going to bring into this, and some of the resources in terms of books and music that might help us. And then there's practice tips. There is um, activities at a glance, and I can see um, – well, things like a bubble and clouds activities um, sheet for um, kindergarten students. And it's all, I guess what I feel um, as I look at it is um, that lovely thing of calming down and being reassured and feeling confident and going, I can do this. Yeah. And I yeah. know why I'm doing it. Absolutely. The bit that I bet most teachers' ears will be pricking up at is the idea of how do I send this home? That there's support for teachers to to describe what they're doing and and communicate with the family. Tell us more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so interspersed with all of the units and even within every module, there's a prepared letter that um, participants with TLC get that in the curriculum, but they also get a digital version so they can just take the language and adapt as they need to to make it relevant in their context. Um, because it is, you know, obviously the, the more that the language and the development is reinforced, um, the better. And so if you can bring in parents as partners um, in this work, it's obviously going to um, have a deeper impact, take root quicker, et cetera. Some of the qualitative research that we've done as part of our evaluation uh, work around this program, we frequently will hear um, comments from older students in particular about um, the impact that they've seen even with brothers and sisters or, you know, that it isn't just limited to the classroom in terms of impact. So talk to us. You did say a little bit about that, yes, this is a program, this is a curriculum that's designed for the classroom, but it tends to move beyond. Tell us more about yeah, that. It absolutely. Um, so what we hope to do in that arena is certainly go a lot deeper than we are right now. So our primary, um, uh, our, our primary intention with this work, our primary outcome objectives, is that we'll increase engagement, learning, and performance in school. And what that means um, in terms of engagement, um, clearly we want students to be um, attentive in school, but not just attentive, not just staying out of trouble, but truly engaged in the work. Are they asking questions? Are they asking interesting questions? Are they talking about the, the work to their peers, partners, et cetera? And so that's part of what we look at. We also look at um, their behavior, um, and that's 
part of performance. So performance for us is attendance and behavior. Um, so our kids who weren't showing up, showing up. Our kids who, um, you know, may have been late, are they now getting there on time, um, et cetera. And then, of course, learning. So we look at both um, classroom-based grades as well as standardized testing. And I, I'm very, very pleased to say that we have been able to impact the language of strengths in the classroom. We've been able to uh, develop social-emotional learning competencies across the board. Um, and as a result, we have seen increases in all of those indicators when the program is implemented with fidelity. So we are uh, thrilled with the, the early outcomes of the um, of the evaluation research we've been able to conduct or have conducted for us. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fantastic. I mean, what, what essentially that is saying is the program works. It, exactly. does what it, <laughs> it actually does what it sets out to do. Right. And, and I think... Um, the, the, the other piece is that when you have a classroom, when you have sets of classrooms in schools where all of this is happening, the climate is different overall, isn't it? Absolutely. So one of the things that, I, again, we're very keen to get to in the next um, round of evaluating the work um, is how the dynamics are changing from educator to educator um, in terms of their relationships, in terms of their own sense of efficacy, um, in terms of climate measures, um, and that's not something we've done to this point, but we certainly um, see it in the, again, the qualitative remarks. We hear students talking about um, how their teachers are behaving in a different way, uh, which is very interesting. Um, so we know things are going on there, but we're just not measuring it currently. I think this is a really, um, a really interesting area that we, we sometimes measure quite narrowly because that's our goal, but we may be having, we sometimes worry that our programs aren't having enough effect, but actually one of the things that happens sometimes is they have much wider effects. I love, I love the fact that this is a program that's designed to teach students social and emotional competencies, but actually what we're hearing is that, yes, it, it affects their engagement, their effectively their well-being, as well as their performance and learning. It also affects the school climate, and it also affects teachers. Yeah. That it's affecting teachers' engagement and their teaching efficacy. Absolutely. So we begin, when we um, start with the Champions Institutes, uh, we begin with the educators themselves, not, um, not in the classroom, not you in the classroom, but you. What are your character strengths? Um, and I, we're absolutely committed to that model as the way to do things in the sense that you can't help somebody else see the best in themselves unless you've experienced it for yourself. That goes back to an integral part of the whole area of well-being in education, that the, the congruence between the teachers. If the teachers aren't living it, it's very right. hard for them to communicate that to students. So, so I love that that's where you start. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, there is research to even suggest that if that's not the case, if there's not that congruence, um, attempting to implement this kind of work can even be more damaging than not doing anything at all. Um, so it's, it's important. So would your advice then um, for a school be, yes, begin this work and implement it in the classrooms where you have teachers who are really keen to do the work? Hmm. Yeah, you know, that's such an interesting question because I do think there's certainly, um, uh, even for those folks who might not have been 
um, the first in line uh, to do the work, uh, when they see it in action and see results, um, they adopt it. You know, they do get excited. Um, so I would be hesitant to rule someone out because of their, um, in a, a, when they're beginning without knowledge of it and maybe are not interested, I would hate to rule them out because once understanding it better, they can be quickly brought along. Yeah, but would you would you let the person who's not interested wait and watch and observe and see the results and then come on board at a later stage? Yeah, I think that's very possible. It certainly depends on every context. Yeah. And I will tell you, there are places, um, not so much inside schools, but our other consulting work that we've done in organizations where we start, as we say, where the energy is. If you could only do one thing for the rest of your life to support well-being mm. in others, what would it be? Mm. This is such a good question, um, and it's hard to answer, <laughs> but I'm sure you knew that. <laughs> um, so um, I don't want to be too abstract here, so forgive me if this comes out that way and you can help me make it more clear, but I think this idea, um, if it's only one thing, it's so transformative of just understanding that within every single one of us is the possibility of being our very best selves. And we can access that on a daily basis. And that's all we need to do to attempt to access that best self. The reason that's so important in my mind is that when we do that, uh, we not only change ourselves, we truly change the people around us, and they change other people, and there is a ripple. Um, so I, it, I hope that doesn't sound too abstract or maybe too simplistic, but I do think this notion of recognizing that, um, you know, there's a, there's a certain greatness in each one of us, and it comes from what's best about us in the way of our character strengths, and it's uh, readily accessible to us, and that's all we need to remember. That's so lovely. I'm, I'm thinking Emily Dickinson, dwell in possibility. Yes. Is your, is your mantra. Yeah, that's <laughs> lovely. Thank you. And Gillian, what's your go-to strategy for boosting your own well-being when you feel frustrated or down? Yes. So um, it's always good for me to move. I, um, I love physical activity. So, you know, anything from tennis to biking to kayaking to swimming to hot yoga I love. So, you know, if I need a quick change my perspective, remember those things I just said, <laughs> um, that does it. That really does it for me usually. Get out and move. Get out and move. And, uh, you know, kind of the harder, the faster, the sweatier, the better. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It, it's hard to feel stuck. You can't feel stuck when you're moving, moving and sweating, and yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it great. really is. A, it's a relatively immediate mind uh, shift for me. Um, it kind of puts everything else at bay, so I can remember, like I said, what's uh, the core that you want to remember. Yeah. Thank you for that. Now, Gillian, I hope that as we come to an end that the trees are no longer uh, flying horizontally outside your window. <laughs> yes. and that things down. Thank you Thank so you. much for being with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. What a delight. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to learn more, our book, The Educator's Guide to Whole School Wellbeing, is available from NZIWR 
www.cloud.co.nz from early 2020. You can also listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz, on nziwr.co.nz, and you can also subscribe to Apple Podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the latest research and practice in school well-being, join us at the Wellbeing in Education Conference in Christchurch from the 2nd to the 4th of April and Auckland from the 6th to the 7th of April 2020. For more information, go to nziwr.co.nz or conference.co.nz forward slash wenz20. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.